Welcome to the Dogwood Podcast, a presentation of Dogwood Church. For more information, visit dogwood.church. We hope you enjoy the message. Well, good morning to you. As uh, Keith said, my name is John Warnock. I'm one of the pastors on staff here at Dogwood. and We are in the middle of our series called Flipped, where we're looking at Jesus' Sermon on the Mount uh, in Matthew, uh, Matthew chapter 5, 6, and 7. And we're looking at how Jesus takes the way that we think and operate that's, that's really upside-down thinking and turns it right-side up so that we can relate to God the Father appropriately and we can relate to one another appropriately and in the right ways. And so I want to start this morning by asking you a question. How many of you think and believe that sometimes our motives matter in what we do? Anybody? I mean, I do. I actually think our motives matter. Now, there's sometimes our motives don't matter, right? Our motives sometimes... If you're driving down Interstate 85 at 120 miles an hour, you're probably going to get pulled over and given a ticket, right? Um, probably doesn't matter what the reason you are fleeing for or trying to get there. You're probably going to get that ticket. But let me share with you just a quick story where I think uh, someone's motive actually changed the outcome. So back in 2006, my family and I had been saving for about five years to be able to buy an old used boat. Because I had this dream of wanting to teach my kids how to water ski and wakeboard and, and kneeboard like I learned how to do growing up. And I wanted to be able to spend those days while they were young teaching them how to do that. And so we bought this old boat that was about 10 years old. Uh, and we enjoyed it that summer. It was fun. It was, um, we knew that the engine was in good shape, but the outside of the boat lacked a little bit, right? I mean, it needed a good waxing uh, job. And the carpet had, was, was literally falling apart. Um, and when I say carpet, this boat has more carpet on it than most people's houses. It's a fish and ski kind of combo boat, and there's, there's carpet everywhere. And I'm going, who designed this thing? It's supposed to be like not wet stuff. But anyway, it's got carpet everywhere. And uh, after that first summer of enjoying that boat and having to wear sunglasses to keep the, far, the carpet flecks from coming up in our eyes as we were going down the water, we came to that next spring and we said, you know what? We need to re-carpet this boat. Until I figured out how much it was going to cost to pay somebody to do that, I went, uh, I think we're going to try to figure this out on our own. Well, if you know me, uh, I wasn't given the gift to work with my hands very well. Just wasn't. Wasn't gifted that way. And so I called a friend of mine and said, hey friend, would you help me learn how to do this? Because I knew that they had just recarpeted their boat not too long ago. And I said, hey, perfect. So he came over, he spent the better part of a Saturday and probably another day with us teaching us what to do. And then Lindsay and I spent another literally three to four weeks working on this project. Now, part of it was because we had to take off these lids and we had to cut the carpet just right and put it on there and we used the wrong glue one time, so then we had to do it all over again. And it took us forever. When we finally got the carpet done, it looked good. And so then I thought, well, I'm going to wax this thing. And Lindsay went, okay, I'm done. I'm not doing any of that. You're on your own. So I wax the boat, get done with it, and I go, man, this thing looks nice. And so I go inside to find the family to like get them to come out and everybody can go, what? I felt like almost like Clark Griswold did in, uh, with his house, right? So I go in, I can't find anybody when I go inside. I'm like, where in the world is everybody? Well, it wasn't too out of the ordinary. The kids had friends down the street that sometimes they'd go play with. Luke is about three years old at this time. Um, Caleb would have been about six. Couldn't find anybody. So I don't know what happens for the next little bit. I probably got a snack or had some water or something like that. But some time passed. And I still couldn't figure out where everybody was in the family. So I go back outside into the driveway, and I see Luke up in the boat. And I went, huh, how'd you get there? And what in the world are you doing? And I walk over to him. Now Luke, who's three years old, 
sitting in the nice, clean boat that's just been waxed, new carpets, tan carpet, that doesn't show dirt, but he's sitting there with a nice red Sharpie. And Buddy is going to town, just coloring that carpet. Now, some of you are going, how'd you like survive that? Well, I know that people matter more than things. So I put myself in timeout immediately. I went inside And I think I cowered in the closet somewhere just going, what in the world am I going to do? I just spent all this time, energy, and effort trying to make this thing look nice. And there's Sharpie on the tan carpet. So Lindsay finally comes around. I'm like, woman, where have you been? I really didn't say that. I'm just kidding. Um, But I did say, I did say, do you know what your son did? And don't we do that? Like when our kids do bad stuff, we're like, do you know what your son did? And so I told her, and she's like, nah. I was like, seriously, you need to go out there. And so she goes out there, and sure enough, he had been coloring the carpet red. So now he's three years old. I can't do a direct quote of a three-year-old. But here's basically what he said when we started asking him, why in the world did you do this? Why would you do I mean, you don't color the walls in the house. And here's what he said. He said, I know that dad's favorite color is red, and I thought he'd rather have red carpet. That's literally what he said. That changed things. The boy was no longer in trouble. Had he been a teenager, I'd have been like, ah, that's pretty slick. You're coming up with that on your own. But as three-year-old, I'm going, wow, that's, that's really what's in your heart. You, you think Dad would have rather had red carpet. Had it not been a green boat, he might have been right. I did not want to look like Clark Griswold going down the, down the um, water. People's motives, they matter in what we do, right? Jesus, as a matter of fact, he says our motives matter. We're going to be digging into Matthew chapter 6, verses 1 through 8, then we're going to skip a few verses and jump into 16 and 18. Now, don't worry for those of you that are concerned that we're skipping some verses. We're, we're not going to cover today the Lord's Prayer, which is found in verses 9 through 15. Pastor Keith is going to come back and teach on that. But we're going to be in Matthew chapter 1, excuse me, chapter 6, verses 1 through 8, and then over in 16 and 18. Now, before we dig into this passage, we're going to read it little by little together and kind of unpack it. Let me go ahead and acknowledge, especially for some of you that already are familiar with this passage, acknowledge that some people think that this is where Jesus is about to contradict himself. Because in short, here's what Jesus is going to tell us in these, in these passages. He's going to say, look, be careful what you do on the outside. Don't do these acts of righteousness that I'm going to talk about. Don't do them to earn people's favor. But if you were here over these last few weeks, you know in Matthew chapter 5 earlier, he actually said you're the salt and light of the world, that we're to be showing him and showing his love. So what is he talking about? Well, earlier in chapter 5, he's talking about people's kindness, or not people's, uh, talking about Christ's followers' kindness, purity, honesty, and love. An example of that would be an ethical business person saying, hey, you know what, I'm going to go to another country, and I'm going to do and practice business in an ethical way, and I'm going to pay people fair wages, and I'm going to make sure that the suppliers are paid on time, and I'm going to treat people kindly, and that they lead people to Christ in doing that. That's letting your light shine ethically before people. Jesus is about to to talk about three spiritual disciplines or three spiritual habits that we're to practice, but he says be careful in how you practice them. Not these, in these spiritual disciplines, be careful in how you practice them. So let's dig in together. Verse 1, he says this. Be careful not to practice your righteousness in front of people to be seen by them. Otherwise, you will have no reward from your Father in heaven. Jesus first, he starts out and he says, be careful. 
He knows this is going to be an issue for us. He knows it's going to be a struggle for us. We are going to to have a hard time living up to what Jesus is about to tell us. So he says, be careful. He's warning us. These acts of righteousness that I'm going to tell you about, that Jesus is going to tell you about, and we're going to expand upon them a little bit, giving to the poor, praying, and fasting. Those are all spiritual disciplines that as followers of Christ are important. They should be important to us. They were, they were important disciplines in that time. God uses those disciplines or those habits in our lives to make us more like Him. You see, when we give, and we're going to talk more about this in a second, but when we give, we give, or we should give, because of God's generosity to us out of an overflow of our heart for what He's already done for us and how He's already provided for us. When we pray, it's not to get people to look at us. When we pray, it's because we have such a deep relationship with God the Father that we pray and we talk with God on an ongoing basis. And when we fast, we do so to show complete dependence on God. All three of those things, giving, praying, fasting, they were commonly practiced even back then by the Jewish people, especially the religious leaders, because they thought by doing these lists of things, not just these disciplines, but a whole bunch of other ones, they thought by doing those things that it would make God love them, that it would make God pay attention to them, and that they would earn God's favor. Jesus says to us, be careful, it's not just about what you do on the outside. It's not just about cleaning up the outside. I'm concerned about what's going on inside. All three of these spiritual disciplines, these things that we can do that cause us to be more like God, they're all good, but they all can be practiced or done incorrectly. You remember last week when Pastor Keith was um, covering a chunk of chapter 5, and just two illustrations from there. He talked about how if you are angry with a brother, that what happens to us as followers of Christ, or we get credited with murder, right? We look at someone in anger and we're, just, we're so irate at them. It's just like we've killed them. We've, we've assassinated their character. Or when we look at someone lustfully, Jesus says, you know what you get credit for? You get credit for adultery. Jesus was raising the standards there. Why? Because he's saying, listen, it's not just about the outside. It's about your motives. It's about your heart. He's raising the standard on us to say to us, We are all in need of a Savior. Even if you think you've cleaned up your life, even if you think you're going to do the right things, God says, pay attention to your heart. Pay attention to your heart. These these spiritual disciplines, these things that should cause us to growth, if we practice them with the wrong motive, they're actually meaningless. It's a waste of time. Getting the applause of someone else other than God is really a waste of time for us. Jesus says, we will have no reward from our Father in heaven if we're practicing these disciplines for the applause of other people. In other words, when we practice them with the wrong motive, we might as well just not even practice them. When he talks about this reward, there's some debate among scholars about all and theologians about what is all does he mean with this reward? But in a nutshell, he's at the very minimum talking about an eternity spent with Christ in heaven. He's saying that reward, if you practice it for the wrong reasons, you may be missing it. You may be missing out on that. We also need to note here in verse 1 that Jesus is referring to God as Father. He's saying to us here, God is a God that can be known as a Father. 
Because he wants us to understand it's not about just doing these things, but it's about a relationship with God, the creator of the universe. You see, the Pharisees practiced a religion in such a way where they had to perform for God, where they thought they could do enough acts to make God notice them and love them. Jesus says, no, God is a, God is a father. We relate to him in a, in a real relationship as a father does to his children. Not about what we do. Let's think of it this way. When my kids were younger and they wanted to give a gift, they had no way of getting money, right? I mean, they were too young. They couldn't go out and cut the grass for somebody else. So what would they do? They would come and ask me and say, hey, Dad, can I have $3? Oftentimes, they were asking for money for candy, right? But every once in a while, they were asking money because they wanted to get Mom a gift or they wanted to get me a gift. So I'd give them the 3 or $4 and they'd get a gift. Now, in reality, who paid for that gift? Me, Right? I provided them with those resources, and they went and, and got them. Well, that's, but, but that gift that they would give, give me, even though it was only a little $3 thing, was priceless. Why? Because it was, it was out of a relationship with them. I loved what they had picked out. I loved what they had given. It didn't matter that I was really the one that was paying for it, and it really didn't even matter that that's probably not what I would have picked out for myself. We're to relate with God the same way in that, listen, we really on our own don't have much to offer God that's valuable to Him other than us, other than the relationship that He wants with us. Everything that we have that we could give to God, actually He's already given to us. We're just giving it back to Him. Let's not be too hard on the Pharisees because if you and I aren't careful, We can spend years of our lives going to church, doing Christian things, saying Christian things, going to Christian events, and even obeying Christian rules and doing some of these disciplines. But if we do them for the wrong reasons, God says you might miss out on the kingdom of God. That's why later on in Matthew chapter 7, and we'll study this in in more detail in a few weeks, but in Matthew chapter 7, verses 21 through 23, he says, not everybody who says to me, Lord, Lord, is going to enter the kingdom of God. And the people who he says that to, they're going to respond back to him and say, but God, didn't we do all of these things for you? And he's going to say, I didn't know you. I didn't have that relationship with you. So we have to be very careful to make sure that the things that we do, we're doing out of the right motive, out of a love for God. Now these next three disciplines that Jesus is going to go over with us, really our audience can be one of three options. The one he, he speaks specifically about is is your audience for other people. In other words, do you do these things to make yourself look better in other people's eyes? Or do you do them for yourself to cover up your own guilt and to cover up your own inadequacies? Or do you do them with an audience to God the Father in relationship with Him? So let's look at verses 2 through 4. Jesus is continuing to speak here. He says, So whenever you give to the poor... Don't sound a trumpet before you as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and on the streets to be applauded by people. I assure you, they've got their reward. But when you give to the poor, don't let your left hand know what your right hand is doing so that your giving may be done in secret. Your Father who sees in secret will reward you. Jesus first says, when we give. Jesus expects us to give. It's not if we give, it's when we give. He's saying, listen, as followers of Christ, you're to give. Giving 
to the needy was a pillar, pillar of religious life to the ancient Jewish culture. Poverty was widespread and the people of Israel took it seriously that they should help the poor. And Jesus says to them and He says to us, good, keep doing it, but don't make a big deal of it. He says, don't blow trumpets and make this big fanfare and say, hey, look everybody at what I'm doing and what I'm giving. If He was speaking today, if He had our... If he, he didn't know these words, but he would, they would have not understood it. But today, if he was talking to you right now, he would say, be careful what you put on social media. Be careful what you're tweeting about, about the good things that you're doing. Are you doing it so that people will look at you and go, oh, that person, he must be really spiritual. Or must be really special. He's really kind. Or are you doing those things to bring honor and glory to God? Jesus says you've got you to worry about or be concerned about your motives. The Pharisees and scribes, they liked to get people's attention by what they gave and by what they did. They would make a big show of it, and people then would look at them and go, wow, those people, those are really godly people. Those people must really love God. Jesus says, your audience is other people, so that they'll pat you on the back and say, wow, you must be good, and boom, that's it, your reward's done. People's opinions are, of us are fleeting, aren't they? Even praises that people say to you, they go away. This past spring, I've shared with you about coaching my son's Little League team. This past spring, that team went undefeated. We went into the playoffs, went undefeated. We won the championship game. It was great. It was fun. It was a fun night of celebrating with that team. Afterwards, the parents are coming. They're congratulating the kids. They're congratulating the coaches. The other coaches are coming over and congratulating us. And I'm not going to lie to you. It felt good, right? It felt good to win. It felt good to be congratulated. But do you know the next morning when I woke up? I didn't really care beans about all of that. All of that was gone. And for those other coaches to acknowledge us again, we'd have to do the same thing. Take a team and, and win the whole thing again. People's opinions and flattery, they go away very quickly. So when we're pursuing their applause, God says, be careful. Be careful. Because to keep getting their applause, you have to keep performing. You've got to keep doing those tricks. You've got to keep doing those things. In this case, you'd have to keep giving so that people saw it. But the good news for us is, is when we give, we do so out of generosity to God and only He knows. His applause for us never stops. Jesus called these Pharisees and scribes, He calls them a word called a hypocrite. Now, a hypocrite was a Greek word for an actor, someone who literally stood on, on stage in a drama and they would put on a mask and they would pretend to be somebody else and entertain people that way. Now that's good when you're, when you're looking at a drama. But he uses that word to describe people who are searching for applause from other people in what they do. And he says, don't be like the hypocrites. By doing something religious, giving to the poor, on the outside looking good, don't be like them. Because if that's the only reason why you're doing it, your, your reward is over. That's all you're getting. Easy for us to give the Pharisees a hard time on this. But let me give you one other example of where we do this in our culture today. And I'm not questioning people's motives on this, but it's just an example. You've been to a fundraising banquet ever? Anybody? Some of you? Has your company that you work for ever supported the fundraiser you were doing? Probably. And you look on the back of that program, or in the middle of the program, and where there's like the sapphire list and the platinum list and the gold list and the silver list. And you get a little bit of pride out about that, right? That, wow, my company gave to this nonprofit, and that's something that ought to be good. Well, and I get why companies do that. I'm not saying don't. 
And you're saying, we've got to check our motives of why we're putting those things on there. Are we doing that to make ourselves look good and to make our companies look good or to make us ourselves feel better? Or are we doing it out of love for God and love for people? So what do we do? Jesus says this, when you give to the poor, when you give, don't let your left hand know what your right hand is doing. Your Father will see and He'll reward you. And when I first started studying this, I was like, God, all right, come on. How does my left hand not know what my right hand's doing? They're all connected. And typically, where my right hand is, my left hand is also there, right? I haven't figured out how to not make that happen. Jesus is using, using an exaggeration to make a point. He's saying that a real Christian, for a real Christian, we are to be giving to the poor, but we are to be doing it in, in a natural way and a natural flow of life of who we are out of an overabundance of generosity for what God has done for us that we just do it without even thinking about it, worrying and without worrying about is somebody else watching. So much so that we don't even have time to congratulate ourselves over it. It's like learning how to hit a 96 or 97 mile an hour fastball. I've never done that. I've tried. But what I'm told is, is to actually hit one of those, you don't consciously think through all of the steps of a swing. Your body reacts to all of the training that it had done. In the same way our giving should be done so that we don't even think about it consciously. It's not even a big deal to us anymore because it's who we are as followers of Christ because God has changed our hearts. So If we're giving, if our primary reason of our giving is to cover our losses, to impress people, Jesus says you're missing it. But if you're giving to the kingdom of God because of an overwhelming sense of God's generosity to you, You've got the right motivation. He goes on in verses 5 through 8. He says this. Whenever you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites because they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the street corners to be seen by people. I assure you, they've got their reward. But when you pray, go into your private room, shut your door and pray to your Father who is in secret. And your Father who is in secret will reward you. When you pray, don't babble like the idolaters since they imagine they'll be heard for their many words, don't be like them, because your Father knows the things you need before you even ask. Jesus is making a very similar argument here to get into how we give, but to how we pray. He says, when you pray, He expects us as followers of Christ to pray. It's when we pray. But the religious leaders back then, they liked to be honored. By, so like whenever there was event, an event, they liked to be the one that was called to come pray before the event. During, during certain times of the day, they liked to be the one. They, they would make sure, they had to pray certain times during the day. And they would make sure that they were in very public places when the sound was called for them to pray so that people would notice them and go, oh, look, that guy, he's spiritual. He must really love God. Jesus says, don't be like those hypocrites. It's not about other people noticing you praying. Jesus says, instead, when you pray, go into your private room, shut the door, and your Father will see what you do in secret. Now let's break this down for a moment. The private room is probably best thought of as a metaphor. Most people back then didn't have big, huge homes. They didn't have multiple private rooms in their homes. What Jesus is saying to us is, our focus when we pray should be on a relationship with God. And as a matter of fact, when we pray, we can do it without anybody else ever knowing. You see, you right now could pray and nobody would know next to you that you're praying except for God. God would know. And so when we pray, it's not about making this big grandiose prayer. It's not about doing it in front of other people. 
He's saying your prayer life should be a rich, vibrant one with God all of the time, every moment of your day. Jesus also says, don't go on babbling. He's referring to repeating the same words or same prayers over and over again in an attempt to try to get God to listen to you. That's what people did back then. And sometimes people do that today. They say, oh, well, I'll just keep repeating this. I'll keep saying this because I want God to notice. Let me let you in on a secret that Jesus tells us in verse 8. He says, listen, God already knows what you need. God already absolutely knows what's going on. It's a little crazy for me to think that I've got to inform God about what's going on. You see, I believe that God created the world. He created the universe. He created everything that's out there. And it's nuts for me to think that I need to be his reporter and tell him about what's going on down here. So why do we pray then? Well, we pray to align ourselves with God. We pray to make sure that our hearts are in the right place. Because we're acknowledging that we can't make it on our own, that we need God's help. And the cool news is this, we don't have to babble, we don't have to badger God. He is able to listen to every person in the world all at the same time. Thankfully, he's not like me. If I'm having a conversation with one person and there's somebody else in the room having a conversation and I can hear that, I'm distracted by what's going on. I'm so thankful God's not that way. God can actually hear all of us all at the same time and not only just hear us, but he can relate to you and to me individually all at the same time. How he does it, I don't know. He's God, but it's a good and wonderful thing. So when we pray, if our primary reason is for people to be impressed with our words that we say, or if it's so that people will notice who we are, Jesus says you missed it. Because the primary reason that we're to pray is that we're to relate to God. Because He loves us and we find it amazing that we also get to relate to Him. Jesus tackles a third spiritual discipline that was common, fasting. Verses 16 through 18, he says this, Whenever you fast, don't be sad-faced like the hypocrites, for they make their faces unattractive, so their fasting is obvious to people. I assure you, they've got their reward. But when you fast, put oil on your head and wash your face so that you don't show your fasting to people, but to your Father who is in secret, and your Father who, is, who sees in secret will reward you. Fasting was a common practice back then. Quite frankly, it should probably be a common practice today, but that's a sermon for another time. But the religious leaders then, they had gotten in the habit of doing these number of fasts, sometimes weekly fasts. And when they would do it, they would walk around sad and they would say, oh, look at poor me, I'm going without food today. And they wouldn't wash their hair, they wouldn't wash their face. And so people would see them walking around and they'd go, oh, look, he's fasting, he must be spiritual. God, he must really love God. Jesus says, when you fast, make it look like you're not even fasting. It's not about drawing attention to yourself. You see, the purpose of fasting was to humble, and it is to humble yourself before God, to repent of sin, to show dependence on Him for future mercy, and to seek His direction. The Pharisees wanted people to know that they were fasting. Their motives weren't right. And Jesus says that pat on the back that they get, pat on the back, that's it. Motivation should be instead to seek God's face, His will, and to show complete dependence on Him. It all comes down to our motives. All three of these spiritual disciplines and a bunch of other disciplines that we could talk about and a bunch of other acts of service that we could talk about, it all matters what our motivation is. 
not just that we do these things on the outside. As I was studying and preparing, I ran across a message and read an illustration from someone, and they, this was the story that they shared. The, the, the pastor talked about how he had gone to a, uh, I think it was an orchestra performance, if I remember it right, and the music was beautiful. And at the end of the performance, the crowd stood to their feet, and they were all clapping, and they were all moved by it. And he says, I looked over, and I even saw two of the ushers who watched this show all of the time. They were going crazy in applause. And they looked like they were moved. And he said, I was intrigued by that because these guys see this show every night and yet they were moved. Something must have been special. So he says, I actually walked over and got close to them so I could hear what they were talking about. Because it was loud and they were clapping. And he says, as I got close to them, here's what I heard them say. One usher to the next. Hey, listen, we've got to keep this applause going. Because if we keep this applause going, the band's going to come back out and they're going to do another piece or two. And if they do that, we're guaranteed to get overtime. Right? Their motives, while on the outside, looked good. Their motives on the outside looked like that they were moved by the music. Their motives were purely selfish. On the inside, they wanted some overtime. We need to check ourselves and say, What are my motives for doing the things that I do? Whether it's those three disciplines that we just talked about or any act of service that we do. Why do we do it? I want to give you a little test that you can write down. This is for you. I don't mean like you're going to turn it in test, but a test that you can write down. And you can find out and check your motives at least on these three things. You should have a note sheet on the bottom of that note page. There's three little blanks that you can fill fill in. First test is this. First question of the test is this. How much would I give if no one ever knew other than God? How much would I give? And what I mean by that is not even the IRS for tax deductions. I'm not saying don't get the tax deduction for giving. You should get that. That's a a benefit for us living here in America. But what I'm saying is ask yourself, how much would I actually give even if I didn't get the deduction? Even if nobody else ever knew about it? Second question is, how often do I pray? How often do I pray? Is it only when others are around? Is it only when I'm asked to do so in front of a big group of people? Or am I praying with God all the day? As I'm driving down the road and thinking about my day, I'm then praying praying to God and relating to Him. How often do I pray? And the third question, how important, this, this question actually really should have two parts. One, how important is fasting to you? And then number two, assuming fasting is important to you, how often would you do it even if nobody ever knew? There's good news for us. The good news is this, is that we're all going to fail those tests at some point in our lives. We're going to look through those and we're going to go, oh man, my motivation was actually bad. But the good news for us is that in Jesus, we can live this way. Through Jesus, we can live this way. He can give us a new heart. There's a, a person in the, that the New Testament talks about named Paul. Originally he was Saul. And Saul was like the religious poster child of what being a, the religious leader of the day back then. And he persecuted Christians. But the Pharisees and the, and the scribes, they all said, Paul, he's the guy. If you want to be like somebody, be like him. Until Paul met Christ. And when Paul met Christ, his life was forever changed. And he wrote most of the New Testament. 
your life can be changed too. So let me ask you to bow your head and close your eyes for just a moment. As you're doing that, let me just let you know, the band is going to be making their way up on stage. So if you hear something, don't be distracted by them. But pretend as best you can that it's just you and God in this room for just a moment. There's at least two groups of people in here today. Some of you are already followers of Christ. And if you're already a follower of Christ, then what I want you to do is to think through and pray through that little secrecy test. See how you're doing. What are your motives like? Are your motives about giving because of what God has already given to you and out of His generosity for you? Are your motives about praying because you, want to, because you have a rich, vibrant prayer life? Are your motives about fasting because you want to show dependence upon God and seek His face? Spend the next few moments doing that. If you're not yet a follower of Christ, that's the second group of people in this room. Then, then this morning, maybe you need to choose to follow God and to have that same encounter that Paul had with Jesus so that your life will be forever changed and you can live this flipped kind of life. And if that's you, you need a relationship with God, then tell God something like this in your own words. And if you don't get the words just right, it's fine because it's not a magic prayer. God's concerned about what's going on inside of you. But tell Him something like this. Lord Jesus, to the best that I understand it, I ask You to come into my life to be my leader and my forgiver. By asking you to be my leader, I'm making you my boss. You have control of my life. And by being my forgiver, God, I'm asking you to forgive me of my sin. Lord Jesus, thank you. I'm still in an attitude of prayer. If you prayed that prayer, or something like it for the first time this morning, on the back of your communication card, I want to ask that you check the box that says, Today I'm following Christ. I'm following Jesus today. Our team will get in contact with you and we'll help you on that journey of knowing God. Lord Jesus, thank you so much for this morning and the opportunity you've given us to gather, to worship you through song, to celebrate in believers' baptism, and to dig into your word today. God, as we sing, help us to do so out of the right motive. And it's in your name we pray. Thank you for listening to the Dogwood Podcast. We hope you enjoyed the message. For more information and other sermons, visit dogwood.church. If you'd like to give to Dogwood Church, you can use your smartphone and text keyword dogwood to 779-77 or click the Give link online. You can now download the Dogwood Church app for Apple and Android devices for podcast, video, and more.